بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا غفر الله لنا ولشيخنا وللمستمعين والمسلمين يقول الامام المجدد محمد بن عبد الوهاب رحمه الله تعالى في رسالته هداب المشي الى الصلاه ويقرا في البواقي من اوصاته ان لم يكن عذر والا قرا باكثر منه ولا بأس بجهر امرأة في الجهرية إذا لم يسمعها أجنبي والمتنفل في الليل يرائي المصلحة فإن كان قريبا منه من يتأذى بجهره أصر وإن كان ممن يستمع له جهر وإن أصر في جهر وجهر في سر بنى على قراءته وترتيب الآيات واجب لأنه نص لأنه بالنص وترتيب الصور بالاجتهاد لا بالنص بقول جمهور العلماء فتجوز قراءة هذه قبل هذه ولهذا تنوعت مصاحب صحابته في كتابتها وكره أحمد قراءة حمزة والكسائي والإدغام الكبير لأبي عمرو ثم يرفع يديه كرفه كرفه ثم يرفع يديه كرفه الأول بعد بعد فراغه من القراءة وبعد أن يخبطها قليلا ثم يرجع إليه نفسه حتى يرجع إليه نفسه نفسه نعم نفسه ثم يرفع يديه كرفه الأول بعد فراغه من القراءة وبعد أن يخبطها قليلا حتى يرجع حتى يرجع إليه نفسه ولا يصل كراء ولا يصل كراءته بالتكبير بالتكبير الركوع فيكبر فيدعو يديه مفرجة الأصابع على ركبتيه منقما كل يد ركبة ويمد ظهره مستويا ويجعل رأسه حياله لا يرفعه ولا يخفضه لحديث عائشة ويجافي مرفقيه عن جنبيه لحديث أبي حميد ويقول في ركوعه سبحان رب العظيم لحديث حذيفة رواه مسلم وأدنى الكمال ثلاث وأعلاه في حق الإمام عشر وكذا وكذا حكم سبحان رب الأعلى في السجود بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله وخليله ورسوله أرسله رحمة للعالمين فبلغ الرسالة وأدى الأمانة ونصح للأمة وجاهد في الله حق جهاده صلوات الله وسلامه عليه ورضانه جل وعلا على صحابة محمد الذين آزروا وهاجروا معه وإليه وجاهدوا معه وبعده وأشاعوا هذه الدعوة الحنيفية السمحة حتى بلغت مشارق الأرض ومغاربها فاللهم ارض عنهم واجعلنا جميعا من محبيهم الصادقين في محبتهم والاقتداء بهم يقول الشيخ الإسلام رحمة الله عليه في كتابه آداب المشاعر الصلاة ويقرأ في البواقي من أوساطه يعني المفصل فصل أوله سورة قاف وقيل الحجرات وآخره قل أعوذ برب الناس فيقرأ في البواقي 
من أوساطه إن لم يكن عذرا وقصده بالعذر قد يكون الإنسان مريضا أو منشغلا على أمر يخشى أن يفوته أو على أمر يخشى أن يدركه ففي هذه الحالة يقرأ مع الفاتحة من قصار المفصل لكن لو لم يقرأ شيئا من من القصار وإنما اكتفى بالفاتحة فقط صحة الصلاة قال ولا بأس بجهر امرأة في الجهرية يعني إذا صلت المرأة في بيتها أو في برية أو بستان لا أحد حولها من الرجال تجهر بالقراءة في صلاة مثلا المغرب والعشاء والفجر يجوز لها أن تجهر وأما إذا كانت في مجتمع الرجال فإن المرأة لا ترفع صوتها ولذلك النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أمر الرجال إذا صارت عليهم لهم ملاحظة على الإمام بأن جلس في غير جلوس أو قام في غير قيام أن يسبح الرجال يقولون سبحان الله أما النساء قال لا فتصفق كف على كف ونحو ذلك حتى لا تتكلم بصوتها لأن صوت المرأة يؤثر بالمستمع ويقول شاعرهم المتغزل والأذن تعشق قبل العين أحيانا يعني الأذن اللي استمعت الصوت يصل له أثر فيها قال ولا بأس بجهة الامرأة الآخرة إذا لم يسمع هاجم والمتنفل في الليل يراعي المصلحة الذي يصلي التهجد في الليل بمفرده في المسجد أو في منزله ينظر المصلحة إذا كان جهره بالقراءة يزعج النائمين ويشق عليهم يقرأ سرا أو يحفظ بالصوت وإن كان لا أحد يتشوش من قراءته أو كان عنده من يحب أن يستمع فإنه يرفع الصوت بحيث يسمع قراءته من حوله فهو لابد من أن يراعي المصلحة المصلحة رفع الصوت رفعه حتى يسمعه من كان حاضرا أو من قد يكون حضرا من الملائكة استماع القراءة فإن كان قريبا منه من يتأذى بجهره أسر والله دل على الغلاة تجهر بصلاتك ولا تخافت بها وابتغي بين ذلك سبيلا أي لا ترفع صوتك يتأذى به الآخرون ولا تخفضه بحيث لا يسمعه أحد قال وإن كان ممن يستمع له جهرا إذا كان حول أحد يستمع له وإن أسر بجهر صلى العشاء أو المغرب أو الفجر ونسي واستمر يقرأ الفاتحة بدون رفع الصوت حالما يتذكر يتمها أو إن كان أتمها يبني على ما قرأ ولا يحتاج إلى سجود سهو 
كان ممن يستمع وإن أسر في جهر وجهر في السر بنى على قراءته إذا ثم مثلا يقرأ الفاتح سرا إلى أن قال اهدنا الصراط المستقيم ثم تذكر أنها جهرية كمل صراط الذين إلى آخره أو في النهار تقدم وصلى بالناس إماما مثلا ظهرا أو عصر والمسجد قد يكون فيه ظلام ظن أن أن الوقت ليل فيجهر حالما يذكر يرجع إلى خفت الصوت ويبني على ما قرعه قال وترتيب الآيات واجب يعني الواحد وهو يقرأ ما يقرأ آية ويقدم عليها آية بعدها ويجعلها متقدمة عليها يقول ترتيب الآيات واجب لأنه بالنص إن القرآن إنما نزل بهذه الطريقة تبدأ مثلا سورة البقرة ألف لام ميم ويستمر فلا يقدم آية في قراءته على آية كان المفروض أن تكون متأخرة عنه لا يقرأ على وفق ما كتب في المصحف هذا في الآيات أما بالسور فلا حرج عليه لو قرأ في الركعة الأولى مثلا سورة السماء إلى الظهور ثم قرأ في الركعة الثانية ولا المطففين لا حرج في ذلك والنبي صلى وصلى مع أحد الصحابة فبدأ يقرأ سورة البقرة لتهجد يقول الصحابي قلت يركع بالمئة مئة الآية أكثر فلما أتمها شرع بعد البقرة بسورة النساء يعني قدم سورة النساء على آل عمران فتقديم سورة على سورة في القراءة لا حرج في إذا وإن كان الأولى أن تكون القراءة متسلسلة في السورة وترتيب السور بالاجتهاد لا بالنص يقول جمهور العلماء فتجوز قراءة هذه قبل هذه كما فعل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في سورة النساء قدمها على سورة آل عمران قال ولهذا تنوعت المصاحف المقصود بالمصاحف الصحابة وأما المصحف الذي أجمع عليه الصحابة في خلافة عثمان فهذا انتظم على ما هو بين ايدينا الان لا تقدم سوره على سوره قال وكره احمد الامام احمد بن حنبل قراءه حمزه والكسائي لان فيها ايمانات على غير المعتاد في القراءات والادرام الكبير الذي سوف يتكلف الذي يقرأ القرآن ينبغي أن يحرص على أن يقرأ قراءة متوالية لا تكلف فيها 
ولا يقف في مواقف ليس محل وقوف قال ثم يرفع يديه يعني من تكبيره كرفعه الاول بعد فراغه من القراءه وبعد ان يثبت قليلا حتى يرجع اليه نفسه يعني اذا ركع يقول ثم يرفع يديه كرفعه لاول مره اذا اراد ان يشبه يرفع هو عندما يثبت تكبيره الاحرام يرفع يديه حتى تكون محاديه اطراف اصابعه لاذنيه او على الاقل موازيه للكتفين المنكب ثم اذا اراد ان يرشع رفع يديه كما فعل في بدايه الصلاه ورفع اليدين ثبت في الاحاديث الصحيحه من حديث ابن عمر وغيرهما في اربعه مواضع عند تكبيره الاحرام وعند الركوع وعند الرفع من الركوع وعند القيام من التشهد الاول هذه المواقع الاربعه هي التي ثبت فيها الحديث ان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يرفع يديه فيها قال ثم يرفع يديه كرفعه الاول بعد فراغه من القراءه وبعد ان يثبت قليلا حتى يرجع نفسه يعني عندما ينتهي من القراءه ما يهوي راكعا واخر لفظ اخر الحروف بفمه وهو يقرا لا اذا انتهى القراءه يقف لحظه بحيث ينفس يتنفس ثم يهوي راكعا بعد ان يثبت قليلا حتى يرجع الى نفسه ولا يصل قراءته بتكبير الركوع انتهى من القراءه ما يقول مثلا من الجنه والناس الله اكبر لا اذا انهى القراءه وقف كالذي ينفس ثم يشرع في التكبير يقول ولا يصل قراءته بتكبير الركوع فيكبر فيضع يديه مفرجتي الاصابع على ركبتيه ملقما كل يد ركبه عندما يهوي للركوع الله اكبر ينزل للركوع يضع كفه اليمنى على ركبته رجله اليمنى مفرجه الاصابع وكفه اليسرى على ركبته رجله اليسرى كأنه يلقم الكف هذا يلقم الركبة الكف يقول وبعد ويمد ظهره إذا ركع ما جعل ركع ظهره له سلام مرتفع ولا هسر الظهر حتى يكون وسط الظهر هو المنخفض لا يمد صلبه متساويا ويمد ايضا الرقبه بامتداد الظهر ولا يرفع راسه رفعا ولا يدليه وانما يكون وسطا بين ذلك 
ويمطرهم السمن ويجعل راسه حياله يعني معتدلا لا يرفعه ولا يخفضه لماذا لحديث عائشه عائشه تقول للنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اذا ركع مد ظهره لو وضعت وضع اناء فيهما ما حشيت عليه قال ويجافي مرفقيه عن جنبيه لا يجعل الذراع والعضد منفصقا بالجنب الا اذا كان في زحام الصلاه ويخشى اذا فرج يضايق من يصافه والشان في الواحد انه يحسب حساب المصافين له يعني لا يؤذيهم بمرفق او ذراع او غير ذلك ويجافي مرفقه عن جنبيه لحديث ابي حميد الساعد رضي الله عنه ويقول في ركوعه سبحان ربي العظيم لحديث حذيفه رواه مسلم يعني الركوع النبي قال اما الركوع فعظموا فيه ربكم ولما نزلت سبح اسم ربك العظيم قال اجعلوها في ركوعهم ولما نزلت سبح اسم ربك الاعلى قال اجعلوها في سجودكم فكان الركوع الناس يعتادون ان يعظمون عظماءهم فارشد صلى الله عليه وسلم الى ان نعظم الله الامر الركوع فعظموا فيه ربكم عظموا فيه الله واما في السجود الذي هو اقصى حاجات النزول للارض فتذكروا علو الله نزه الله قولوا سبحان ربي الاعلى يقول رحمه الله عليه ادنى الكمال ثلاث يعني ينبغي ان الواحد في ركوع في سجود ركوعه اذا اراد ان يجعله على كمال يقول سبحان ربي العظيم سبحان ربي العظيم سبحان ربي العظيم ان زاد وقال سبحان رب سبحانك اللهم ربنا وبحمدك اللهم اغفر لي في ركوعه فقد فعل ذلك النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ايضا السجود ايضا عدنا الكمال ان يقول سبحان ربي الاعلى ثلاث مرات اقل شيء يقوله في حال ركوعه او في سجوده ان يقول سبحان في الركوع سبحان ربي العظيم مره واحده وان يقول في السجود سبحان ربي الاعلى مره واحده لو فعل ذلك صحت لهم كلما زاد هذا التسبيح والتنزيه كلما كانت الصلاه اتم واكمل وهذا الكمال ثلاث واعلاه في حق الامام عشر وكذا سبحان ربي العظيم لكن لو زاد لا حرج عليه الا ان الامام ينبغي ان يراعي المامومين لا يطيل الركوع اطاله تحرج بعض من خلفه ولا يخفف الركوع فيشق على من يصلون خلفه ادراك مواضع هذه الاركان بتاني وانما يكون معتدلا في اموره كلها يقول والنبي قال امر الركوع فعظموا فيه ربكم قال واما في السجود فالحوا في الدعاء فقام يعني حري 
أن يستجاب لكم ويقول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أقرب ما يكون العبد من ربه وهو ساجد فينبغي للواحد في حال سجود أن يتذكر قربه من مولاه فيكثر من الطلبات ولا شك أن أهم الطلبات أن يثبته الله على دينه وإذا كان النبي كان يكثر من قبل يا مقلب القلوب ثبت قلبي على دينك فقيل له أتخاف وأنت رسول الله قال وما يؤمنني وقلوب العباد بين أصبعين من أصابع الرحمن فأنت أيها المصلي في حال رفوعك إذا أردت الركوع ارفع يديك حتى تكون يكون كل كف يحاذي المنكب الكتف كل كف إن ارتفع قليلا إلى أن يكون يحاذي أطراف الأذنين فلا حرج ثم إذا سجدت إذا كنت وحدك أو إمام ففرج أنصب الذراع بحيث لو جاء شيء صغير مر من تحت العاضد ما صار في مضايقه واما اذا كان في زحام لا لا تضايق مصافك في مرفقك او ذراعك وانما يعمل العمل الذي لا يتاذى منه ولا ولا تتاذى منه ثم يكثر الواحد من الدعاء ينبغي للواحد اذا دخل في الصلاه أن يحرص على استذكار الأمور التي يهمها أن تحصل يهمها أن تحصل له في أمور دينه أو دنياه لا حرج إلا أن الدعاء كلما كان متعلقا بمطالب الآخرة كلما كان أولى لكن لا حرج أن يسأل ربه أمر دين أو دنيا في صلاته أسأل الله جل وعلا وفقنا جميعا لأداء هذه العبادة على أكمل حالات الأداء وأن نكون محسنين لاقتداء برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأن ينفعنا الله بها في حياتنا وآخرتنا إنه مجيب الدعاء The Shaykh Hafizullah began by praising Allah Azzawajal. We praise Him. We seek His assistance. And we seek refuge in Allah Azzawajal from the evil of ourselves. We bear witness that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah. He is alone and He has no partners. To Him is the dominion and the praise. And He is able to do all things. And we would bear witness that Muhammad is His slave and messenger. He gave the message. He was sincere for the Ummah. And he fought the true fighting in the way of Allah. And may Allah be pleased with the companions of the prophets. They believed in him, supported him, migrated with him and to him, and fought during his time and after his time until the religion was spread in all parts of the world, in the east and in the west. May Allah be pleased with them and make us from amongst those who are sincere and our love for them and our adherence to their way. The author Sheikh Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab Rahimahullah mentioned in his trees that the person should recite from the awsat, it's from the middle, and these was the mufassal, the shorter surahs or the shorter chapters at the end of the Quran, 
and Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala mentioned Al-Mufassal, they begin with Surat Al-Qaf, or some of the scholars say they begin with Surat Al-Hujurat, to the end of the Qur'an. So either from Surat Al-Qaf or from Surat Al-Hujurat to the end of the Qur'an, this is what the author is referring to when he says that the person should recite from the middle of these short verses or short chapters of the Qur'an. And the author says, except if a person has an excuse, and the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala explained an excuse, for example, if an individual is sick, or if an individual is busy and he has to, he has something to perform after the prayer, then the Shaykh mentioned Habib Allah Ta'ala, that, so what is upon the individual is to recite from the smaller, shorter chapters of the Qur'an after Surah Al-Fatiha. But he said, if a person did not recite any surah other than Surah Al-Fatiha, meaning after Surah Al-Fatiha, the person did not recite a surah, his salah is accepted. But that which is better is that the individual recites a surah after Surah Al-Fatiha. And then the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, went on to explain about a, the, the recitation of a female. And he mentions that uh, this, during the prayers that the person should recite so that they can be heard, a female uh, can do so if, for example, she prays at home alone, meaning she prays at home, if she prays at home uh, with her relatives, or if she's praying in an open area and there are no men, strange, non-relative men uh, around her, then it is permissible for her to recite loudly. For example, in Salat al-Fajr, Salat al-Maghrib or al-Isha, she would recite loudly. But she, if she is in the presence of men, then she would not recite loudly. And the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala mentioned as a proof for this, was the fact that the Prophet ﷺ had ordered the women, or uh, the Prophet ﷺ had ordered the men, that if the Imam makes a mistake in the prayer, those who are praying behind the Imam, the men, they would say SubhanAllah. To correct the Imam, and to indicate to him, or to remind him that he has made a mistake. But, uh, the women, the Prophet ﷺ ordered the women to clap their hands so their voices should not be heard. So this is a proof to say that uh, the female, she should not uh, recite loudly in the company of non-mahrams. And the Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned that the voice of a female, it uh, affects the, the, the men who hear her voice. And he mentioned lines of poetry uh, that were mentioned about an individual who is trying to uh, attract females. Uh, he mentioned that the, the voice of the female had affected him even before he saw, or uh, even, before he, even before he saw her. So this shows you that uh, the voice of the female is, it creates a problem for those who are listening. Then the author Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentioned about the one who is praying the superiority prayer at night. He should, uh, he should consider the good, the benefit of the, of the situation, the good or the bad of it. And the Shaykh mentioned Habib Allah Ta'ala, for example, if a person is praying at night, 
and he's praying in the masjid or outside of the masjid, then the person should look at the maslaha, they should look at the benefit. If uh, there are people who are sleeping, for example, then he should re recite quietly. He should not raise his voice in uh, during his recitation. But if there are people who are awake and they want to hear his recitation, then he should recite loudly. And likewise, uh, if there are people who are present but they can't really hear him, then he should all, he should likewise recite loudly. So the point is, is that the person looks at the benefits. And likewise, as Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned, you would also have uh, the malaika listening to him. So if you have people that are present, uh, individuals that are present that want to hear your recitation and can benefit from the recitation, then there's no problem that you recite loudly. And you mentioned uh, the verses of the Quran where Allah Taala mentioned, and do not raise your voice loudly with the Quran and do not lower it, but seek a middle course. So the Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned in general when a person recites, uh, for example, at night, then the person shouldn't raise their voice very loudly, nor should they lower it, but they should find a, a middle course. Then the Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned, if a person, uh, and the author, the author mentioned it, and the Shaykh Habib Allah explained it, if the person recites loudly during one of the prayers where he should, shouldn't, for example, uh, Salatul Asr or Salatul Dhuhr, but the person forgets and he recites loudly, then as soon as he remembers, then he should recite according to what, what is uh, mandated in that prayer. So for example, if he's reciting, if he begins to recite uh, in Salatul Dhuhr or Salatul Asr, he begins to recite loudly. And then, while he's in the recitation, he realizes that he should recite, he shouldn't be doing so, then he would immediately lower his voice. And likewise, if the person is praying a, 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 a salat, if the person is conducting a salat, which they re should recite loudly, for example, uh, Salat al-Fajr or Salat al-Maghrib or Isha, but they recite low. And as soon as they remember, they should recite as they should normally recite, and there is no prostration for forgetfulness. There is no prostration for forgetfulness. And the Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned an example in that regard. He said, for example, in the middle of the day, if the person enters into the masjid and he is the Imam, and it was Salat al-Dhuhr or Salat al-Asr, and because of something, because of some type of darkness which is present in the masjid, he forgot that it was the daytime and he assumed that it was night. So he began to recite loudly. And while he was reciting, he realized that it's Dhuhr or Asr, then he would immediately change. He does not have to repeat the surah, nor does he have to pray uh, the prostration for forgetfulness. Then the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, mentioned, Tartib al-Ayat Wajibah, or Wajib. The, the order of the recitation of the verses is obligatory. The order of the recitation of the verses is obligatory. For example, a person would not recite from the middle of Surah Al-Baqarah and then recite from the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah. No, that is not correct. Because this is how the Qur'an was revealed. The Qur'an, the, the order within the verses was revealed. Uh, this is how it was revealed to the Prophet Wasallam. So for example, uh, it was revealed Surah Al-Baqarah from the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, Alif Lamim. And the following verse, all the way to the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, this is how it was revealed to the Prophet So a person should not 
recite from a latter verse and place it before an earlier verse. This is not correct. Then the Shaykh mentioned Habib Allah Ta'ala, as for the, the order of the, the chapters of the Qur'an, as for the orders of the chapter, the chapters of the Qur'an, it's not a problem that a person reads a, a latter chapter before an earlier chapter. Because, for example, a person reading Surah Al-Buruj uh, before Al-Mutaffifin and the likes, there's no problem in doing so. And the proof of that is that it took place with the Prophet ﷺ that he was praying the night prayer one time. And one of the companions who was present, he said that the Prophet ﷺ began with reciting Surah Al-Baqarah. And I felt that he would stop after 100 verses. But the Prophet ﷺ continued reciting Surah Al-Baqarah until he finished the surah. And then after Surah Al-Baqarah, the Prophet ﷺ recited Surah Al-Nisa. So that means that the Prophet ﷺ uh, recited Surah Al-Nisa before Surah Al-Imran. And Surah Al-Imran, in terms of the order of the Qur'an, it comes first. So this shows you that it is permissible for a person to do so. But that which is recommended and preferred is that the person uh, recites the verses of one. That which is recommended and preferred is the person recites the chapters in the order that they are present in. And he said, but if a person does opposite to that, then it is accepted, as he mentioned, was done by the Prophet ﷺ in his recitation of Surah Al-Nisa before Surah Al-Imran. Then he said, in terms of the, the masahif of the Sahaba, in terms of the, 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 the Qur'ans that were present with the Sahaba, no, you had individual Sahaba who had... Uh, in terms of the orders of the surahs, they had some discrepancy in that which was present with individual companions. But in terms of that which they agreed upon, in terms of the mushaf that they agreed upon during the time of Uthman anhu, that is what is present in the Qur'an today. That is what is present in the Qur'an today. And then the author Ta'ala, mentioned that Imam Ahmed, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, Ta'ala, he disliked that a person would recite from uh, the different recitations Al-Hamza, Wal-Kasai, Wal-Idgham Al-Kabir, Abi Amrin. And the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala mentioned that the reason why this was disliked by some of the scholars or Imam Ahmad and others is because people were not accustomed to these different types of recitation uh, where there is different types of longation and, and the like. So because people are not accustomed, some of the scholars of the past disliked that people would read these other uh, different types of recitation. For example, there's a waqf, there's a stop and a pause, where there would no normally not be a stop and a pause, and this is something that the people were not accustomed to, to hearing. Then the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, mentioned that at the end of the recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha and the next surah, the person would raise their hands like they did in the takbir al-ihram, the opening takbir. And the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala mentioned, uh, the same way a person raises their hands during the beginning, the opening takbir of the prayer, is the same way now they would raise their hands. They would raise their hands, uh, their palms uh, in the direction of uh, the Qibla, and they would bring their hands close to their ears or up to their chest, and they would say, Allahu Akbar. So just as the person said so in the beginning of the, or just as the person commits the prayer, they would do so now again by raising their hands. Uh, and the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala said the, the raising of the hands is authentically reported on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in four places. The first is the Ihram, Takbirat al-Ihram, 
which is the, the commencing of the prayer. The second is the ruku'ah. Now, for example, when the person wants to go into ruku'ah. And the third is raising up from the ruku'ah. And the fourth is uh, coming up from the sitting position during the first tashahid, after the first tashahid. So once again, the first is the takbirat al-ihram, which is the commencing of the prayer. The second is when a person wants to go into the bowing position, the ruku'ah, whether it's the first, second, third, and the likes. And the, the third position is when the person raises up from the ruku'ah or rises up from the, the ruku'ah. And the, that's the third position. And the fourth position is when the person stands up uh, from the tashahud al-awwal. If, for example, they're praying dhuhr or asr or maghrib or isha, when they stand up from the tashahud al-awwal, they would raise their hand. This is authentically reported on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa the author, the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentioned that a person, after reciting uh, the, the, the chapter, which is after Surah Al-Fatiha, the person would not connect their takbir to the recitation. And the Shaykh Habibullah ta'ala said, meaning, for example, the person wouldn't say, min al-jinnati nas Allahu Akbar. So they wouldn't join, they wouldn't connect their recitation to the takbir of going into ruku'ah. He said, no, what is befitting is that the person relaxes after the recitation so that they can take a, a, a deep breath. So that the person can take a deep breath. And then the person goes into ruku'ah. When the individual goes into ruku'ah, he places his right palm on his right knee and he places his left palm on his left knee and his fingers are uh, divided. They're not uh, connected, his fingers are divided. And it is as if he is grasping his knees with his palms. And likewise, uh, in this position, he should keep his back straight. He should keep his neck and his head uh, flattened with his back. His neck should, shouldn't be raised, nor should it be lowered. Um, his head shouldn't be raised and it should be, shouldn't be lowered. His head, neck and back should all be uh, leveled. And... This is because of the hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. She said that the Prophet sallallahu used to pray and he would go into ruku' the bowing. And so much so, his back was so leveled that if you were to place a, a vessel uh, with liquid on top of it, you would not fear that it would fall. You would not fear that it would fall. And likewise, the author rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned that his elbows shouldn't be um, connected to his sides. He should, exp he should expand his elbows or Afwan, he should extend his elbows slightly. And the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala said, this is if you're praying alone or if you're the Imam. If you're pr praying alone or you, you're the Imam, then you can extend your elbows. But if you are praying in congregation, and there are individuals that are praying to the left and to the right of you, then you shouldn't harm those individuals by extending your elbows during the ruku'ah. And then he mentioned... Uh, the hadith of Abi Humayd al-Sa'adi, one of the companions of the Prophet radiallahu Then he also mentioned um, in the ruku' what it is, what is upon the individual to say in the ruku' subhan the Rabbil Azim. So you should uh, glorify Allah, and you should, uh, no, you should glorify Allah azza wa in the ruku' And it was mentioned, he mentioned the hadith where the Prophet sallallahu said, as for the ruku' for abdim fihi rabbik. As for the bowing, then you should glorify your Lord and have reverence for your Lord in this position. And the Shaykh mentioned Habib Allah Ta'ala, that 
it was the custom of the people of the past that when they would bow, they would glorify their their, their leaders, they would glorify their their leaders and the likes. But so when the Prophet was sent amongst the companions, he told them, as for the Rukur, you glorify your Lord. And as for the sujood, which is uh, the closest place that an individual would be to the ground, then you should remember Allah Azza wa Jal subhanahu rabbil a'la. You should remember the highness uh, and greatness of Allah Azza wa Jal. In these two positions, in the Rukur and the sujood, the, the least perfect or uh, amount of uh, supplication to Allah or remembrance of Allah, the least perfect is that you do it three times. And the, the best is that you do it ten times. That you, did, that you say, Subhana Rabbil Azim in the Ruku' and Subhana Rabbil A'la in Sujood. The least that you should do it in terms of perfection is three. And the best is ten. But the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala mentioned that if a person says it once, when they go into Ruku'ah, they say, Subhana Rabbil Azim once, then it is accepted. That is the least amount that you have to do. So the least amount which is mandatory is to do it once, is to say it once. And the least amount which is uh, the least of perfection is that you do it three times. And the most is ten times, and the Shaykh said, Habib Allah Ta'ala, but you can do it more than ten. He said, Habib Allah Ta'ala, that you can do it more than ten. And the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala said, um, uh, in terms of uh, doing it more in the ruku' and the sujood, if you're the imam, once again, it is incumbent that you focus on or you consider those who are praying behind you. So you should not have, you should not elongate your ruku' so much so that the people that are praying behind you are burdened with the standing. And likewise, you shouldn't make it so quickly. So much so that the people, or to the extent that those who are praying behind you, they can't even reach it. They can't even say the, they can't even uh, remember Allah. They can't even say, uh, or they don't have enough time to say Subhana Rabbil Azim because the Imam has done it so quickly. This is not uh, befitting. But that which is upon the individual is for him to be uh, leveled and balanced in all of the affairs of, of the prayer. And the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala went back to the issue of uh, the remembrance of Allah in the Ruku'ah, where the Prophet ﷺ said that have reverence and glorify, glorify Allah in the Ruku'ah. So the person should take his time and do so. And likewise, the Prophet ﷺ said, as for the sujood, alihu fi dua. You should, uh, to some, for lack of better words, you should beg. You should literally beg your Lord and supplicate to Him when you're in sujood. And He mentioned. The, the justification for that is that the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the closest that an individual is in this life to his Lord is when he is in prostration. So it is befitting that an individual uh, begs Allah and seeks what he needs from Allah Azawajal. And the Shaykh Hafiz Ta'ala said the most important thing that a person needs from his Lord Ta'ala is that Allah makes him firm in his religion. Is that Allah Azza wa Jal makes him firm in his religion. As the Prophet ﷺ said, Oh, the turner of the hearts, make our hearts firm on your religion. 
When this was heard by some of the companions, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Do you fear? The Prophet ﷺ said, And what guarantees me when the hearts of the servants are between the fingers of his Lord? Then the Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned that when the individual raises from the ruku' when they raise from the, the bowing, likewise they raise their hands, similar to how they raise their hands uh, during the other times in the prayer, meaning close to the ears or at the level of the chest. And the Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned um, nah, that um, he went back to, he went to the sujood, Habib Allah and he said, um, in the sujood, nah, he went to the sujood and he said, in the sujood, if you're praying alone or you're, if you're the imam, if you're praying alone or if you're the imam, then you should extend your elbows as was done by the Prophet ﷺ. But if, once again, you are praying in congregation, if you are praying in congregation and individuals are praying to the left or to the right, then you should not, once again, harm them with your elbows, then you can keep your elbows somewhat tucked in. Then he mentioned the importance of supplicating in sujood. And it is permissible for a person to ask Allah from the dunya, or from the affairs of the dunya, or the affairs of the religion. But what is befitting, is that an individual focuses on the affairs of the hereafter, and they focus on the affairs of their religion. So this is that which is important, uh, this is that which is permissible when the person is making sujood. Then the Shaykh Hafiz Allah Ta'ala said, we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make our affairs uh, that which is pleasing to Allah, and we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make our actions in accordance to the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. يقول السائل يقول السائل حفيفكم الله تعالى هل الصلاة خلف الإمام على الجهة الأيمن أو على اليمين أحسن أو الأفضل الجهة الأيسر؟ هل الصلاة خلف الإمام على اليمين أفضل أو اليسار؟ أولا يمنة أيمن في الصف أفضل من أيسر الصف لكن لو كان الصف ممتد في أيمنة وفي أيسر شماله يكون قصير نبغي أن يحرص المصلون على التناسق في مثل هذه المواقف حتى يكون كأن الإمام من على يمينه بقدر من على يساره وأما إذا صلى واحد مع الإمام فقط فالسنة أنه يصلي على يمين الإمام يعني إذا كان الإمام المأموم صفا واحدا يكون مأمومون عن يمين الإمام لكن لو صف الإمام في الوسط وصلى بالطريقة هذه تكون الصلاة صحيحة إلا أنها خلاف السنة بهذا الطريق أحسن الله عليك The individual is asking is it um, 
better to pray behind the Imam on the left or the right. And the Sheikh Habibullah Ta'ala mentioned that the left, Sheikh Habibullah Ta'ala mentioned that the right side of the row is better than the left side and has more merits than the left side. But if the Imam is praying and the complete row to the right is extended and on the left there is hardly no one praying, then what is befitting is that you try to balance the row, so you should go to to the left. And then the Shaykh Habibullah Ta'ala mentioned, but for example, if it's only one individual praying with the Imam, then the Sunnah is to stand on the right side of the Imam. But for example, if a situation took place where the Imam is in the middle and there's some people... Uh, uh, now, if it took place, for example, if the Imam is in the middle and some people on the left and some people are, come to pray next to the Imam, not behind the Imam, next to the Imam, on the right, then the Salat is accepted, but it is in opposition to the Sunnah. It is an opposition to the Sunnah. يقول السائل صليت ظهرا صليت صلاة الظهر مع الإمام أو خلف الإمام وفي رقعة نسيت أن أقرأ الفاتحة فحينما سلم الإمام سلمت معه ثم زدت رقعة بنفس أو بنفسي فهل فعلي صحيح؟ إن شاء الله الصلاة صحيحة ولكن فعلك ليس بصحيح ما دمت لم تقرأ الفاتحة وتريد أن تأتي بركعة تدخل بها الفاتحة لا تسلم معه تكون كأنك مسبوق بركعة إذا سلم تقوم وتأتي بالركعة ثم تسلم ومع ذلك ينبغي للواحد في الدخول في الصلاة أن يعود نفسه استذكار ما ينبغي أن يقوم به من قراءة فيبادر لقراءة الفاتحة في جهرية أو في سرية أضمن لسلامة الصلاة وأكثر احتياط. Individuals asking, I prayed Salat al-Dhuhr with an Imam and I forgot to recite Surah al-Fatiha with him. So when the Imam finished the prayer, uh, and he uh, gave the citation to the right and to the left. I did so, meaning I said the salam to the right and to the left, and then I stood up and completed a, another uh, unit of prayer. Is my action correct? The Shaykh mentioned Habib Allah Ta'ala, the salat is correct, it is accepted, but your action is incorrect. Um, you should have, if you had something to complete, you should have not made the taslim with the imam. You should have not made the taslim with the imam. Once the Imam made the Tasneem, you should have stood up and completed the unit that you had to, to bring. It's befitting that an individual, when they enter into the prayer, that they focus on uh, their recitation. They focus on their recitation and they keep in mind that it's incumbent upon them to recite. And uh, he mentioned Habib Allah Ta'ala. So, for example, if the person... Uh, uh, whether it's the, the silent prayer or the prayer which is heard, the person should keep in mind that it's upon them to recite Surah Al-Fatiha and the likes. So this is better 
for the safety of your prayer. بناءً على هذا السؤال، فهل نفهم أن قراءة سورة الفاتحة واجبة على المعموم كذلك؟ نعم، قراءة الفاتحة واجبة على الإمام والمعموم والمنفرد طبعاً، لأن النبي عليه الصلاة والسلام يقول: لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب، ولما سألهم: هل يقرؤون خلف إمامهم؟ قالوا نعم قال إني أقول ما لي أنازع القرآن ثم قال لا تفعلوا إلا بأم الكتاب يعني اقرأوا خلف الإمام الفاتحة ولا تقرأوا غيرها من حبيب الله تعالى من شيخ حبيب الله تعالى so we understand that it's incumbent for the individual to recite surah al-fatihah he said yes it's wajib it's obligatory for them to recite Surah Al-Fatiha, the Imam, and the one praying behind him. Um, because of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, there is no prayer for the person that does not recite the mother of the book, Al-Fatiha. Likewise, the Prophet ﷺ asked his companions, do you recite behind your Imams? They said yes. The Prophet ﷺ said, why am I being... Uh, uh, why are individuals competing with me? When it comes to the recitation of the Quran, do not do so except Surah Al-Fatiha. So this shows that. لكن هل إذا ما قرأ الفاتحة يكون بطلة الصلاة؟ يأتي حديث أيما صلاة لم يقرأ فيه فاتحة الكتاب فهي خدعج. ما قال باطلة. وإنما تكون ناقصة غير كمال. والواحد يحرص على أن تكون صلاته صلاة كاملة لكن لو حصل شيء ولا قرأ تصح الصلاة بغير كمال ليست كاملة. And the Sheikh Habib Allah Ta'ala went on to explain. He said, but for example, if it took place that a person did not recite Surah Al-Fatiha, uh, for example, behind the Imam, the individual did not recite Surah Al-Fatiha, the Salat is not uh, invalid because you had the hadith of the Prophet where he mentioned that any prayer that the person does not recite Surah Al-Fatiha, then it is deficient. So it is deficient, but it is not invalid. Uh, and it is befitting that a person tries his best to complete uh, his prayer. But if the person, individual praying behind the Imam, but if the person did not make up the, that unit of prayer, then the Salat is accepted. يقول السائل هناك من يزعم بأنه صحيح أن يجمع المسافر الصلوات بين الصلوات الخمس أو يجمع الظهر والعصر والمغرب والعشاء في السفر مطلقا من غير زمن إذا كان نيته السفر هذه عبادة لا معرفة الله مجال صحتها أو عدمها إلا عن طريق المصطفى صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو الذي قال صلوا كما رأيتموني أصلي النبي عليه الصلاة والسلام 
جمع في السفر في ظروف خاصة وغالب وقته يصلي كل صلاة في وقتها وكما سيأتي لهذا الأمر في الدروس القادمة إشارة لها الأماكن التي جمع النبي فيها بين الصلاتين جمع بين الظهر والعصر في عرفة في صلاة الظهر ليتفرغ ليوم عرفة للاشتغال بالذكر وجمع بين المغرب والعشاء في مزدلفة ليرتاح ثم يقوم صلاة الفجر فيواصل العمل بالدعاء عند المشعر الحرام والاستمرار مثل هذه الظروف إذا وجدت صار جمع هو المتقدم هو المقدم وبغير ذلك فأداء كل صلاة في وقتها هو هو الأفضل ولذلك في جميع سفر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما يجمع بين الصلاتين وهو نازل في تبوك يصلي كل فريضة وحدها في عام الفتح فتح مكة يخلي يصلي كل صلاة في وقتها قصرا في حجة الوداع كان يصلي الظهر ركعتين ويصلي العصر ركعتين كل واحدة في وقتها ويصلي المغرب وهي لا تقصر ويصلي العشاء وهو في مكة الأربعة الأيام ركعتين فقط في السفر إذا كان راكب ماشي إذا دخل الوقت الظهر قبل أن يسير صلى الظهر وحدها أو صلاها وأتبعها بالعصر وإن كان لا استمر في المسير قبل زوال الشمس قبل وقت دخول وقت الظهر يستمر ماشيا حتى يقرب وقت العصر فيصلي الظهر ركعتين ويتبعها أيضا بالعصر ركعتين في مثل تلك الظروف يكون الجمع جائزا وأما أن يكون جالسا اليوم كله في مكان معين فالأفضل في حقه أن يصلي كل صلاة في وقتها And the likes. And the Sheikh Habibullah mentioned that this act of worship and its rulings 
it is only known that which is correct and that which is incorrect by way of Al Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa because he said, Pray as you see me pray. The Prophet combined between the prayers in certain situations, but that which was the norm during his journeys is that he would pray, he would shorten the prayers, but he would pray them in at their specific prescribed times. And he said this is going to come more detail about this is going to come in uh, future lessons. The specific places the Prophet ﷺ combined and joined his prayer. For example, you had that the Prophet ﷺ prayed Dhuhr and Asr. He combined between Dhuhr and Asr, each of them two, uh, on Arafah. And he did so, so that he can be free for the rest of the time to perform the actions of Arafah. And likewise, the Prophet ﷺ combined between Maghrib and Isha on Muzdalifah so that he could relax ﷺ in preparation for that which would take place after Salat al-Fajr. So these type of situations, you had the Prophet ﷺ combining his prayer during his journey. But that which is preferred is that the Prophet is that upon that which is preferred, that which is preferred is that the individual prays each individual prayer at its prescribed time. Then he mentioned examples of that. For example, the Prophet ﷺ, when he uh, traveled to Tabuk for the the battle that was going to take place there, the Prophet ﷺ prayed one prayer at its time. He didn't join the prayer. And likewise, the Prophet ﷺ, when he the Am al fat the Am of the conquering, the year of the conquering of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ prayed the prayer, one prayer at its prescribed time. And likewise, during the Hajjat al-Wada' while the Prophet ﷺ was present in uh, Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ would pray Dhuhr, he would shorten Dhuhr, Dhuhr two units, and he would pray them at their, at its prescribed time. And likewise, Salat al-Asr, the Prophet ﷺ shortened Salat al-Asr two units, but he prayed it at its prescribed time. And the same for Salat al-Maghrib and for Salat al-Isha. But if the individual is on the journey, that is, if an individual is a traveler, but he is, he has settled in a place. But if the individual is on the journey, or about to, to uh, commence the journey, and the time for Salat al-Dhuhr has entered, then the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would uh, pray Dhuhr and Asr, he would join them before starting the journey. But if the sun, for example, if the time for Salat al-Dhuhr has not entered yet, the time for Salat al-Dhuhr has not entered yet. And he wanted to set on the journey, he would delay praying Salat al-Dhuhr until uh, the time of Salat al-Asr, then he would join Dhuhr and Asr and shorten them. So in these type of situations, it is permissible. In these type of situations, it is permissible. And the Shaykh mentioned of Allah Ta'ala that it is permissible to join the prayers, but that which is better in terms of the Sunnah is that if you are settled, then you pray each prayer, you shorten and pray each prayer during their prescribed times. يقول السائل يشتكي أنه ينام أو يشتكي أن نومه ثقيل 
فينام عند صلاة العصر وصلاة المغرب ويستيقظ عند أذان المغرب فماذا يفعل؟ لو أراد أن يسافر الساعة كذا وكذا هل ينام عند تلك الساعة؟ هذه عبادة عظيمة ينبغي أن يوليها من العناية ما تستحق ثم في الغالب أن الليل قد لا يكون عنده عمل يحرص على أداء الصلاة في وقتها كان بقي على الأذان مثلا نص ساعة ربع ساعة لا ينام يبقى يقرأ قرآن ونحو ذلك فإذا دخل الوقت ولا شك أن الصلاة مع الجماعة أفضل ويتزيد عن صلاة الواحد المنفرد بسبع وعشرين درجة والذي كان يجلس مع أهله فإذا دخل الوقت قام مسعاً كأنه لا يعرفهم ومن يتق الله يجعل له مخرجا. The individual is asking, Assalamualaikum. The individual is asking, or he's complaining about uh, heavy sleep and the fact that he misses Salat al Asr and Salat al Maghrib. What should he do? The Shaykh Habibullah mentioned if an individual is scheduled to travel at a specific time during the day, does that individual miss his journey? It's befitting that an individual, or it's incumbent that an individual understands the importance and the greatness of this act of worship. And he should give it its due rights. More than likely, this individual does not have work at this time. So it is befitting that the individual is diligent in performing the prayer at its time. For example, if he reaches home and there's only 30 minutes or 15 minutes left before the Adhan of Salat al-Asr, he shouldn't sleep. He should remain awake by reciting the Qur'an. And once the time for the prayer uh, enters, then he prays. And he should do so in the congregation, or he should do so in congregation, because it is better and has more, uh, more preference over the single prayer by 27 degrees. Indeed, the Prophet used to sit with his family and once the prayer entered, the time for the prayer entered, the Prophet would immediately stand up and leave them as if he did not know them. And whoever fears Allah, Allah would make a way for him. يقول السؤال أحسن الله عليك إذا ذكرت في وقت صلاة العشاء أني نسيت أن أصلي صلاة الفجر فماذا علي وماذا أقدم إذا لم تذكر إلا وأنت تصلي تلك الصلاة الحاضرة ولا ذكرت الصلاة التي نسيتها كمل الصلاة التي أنت فيها ثم أد بعد ذلك الصلاة أما إذا ذكرت قبل أن تدخل بالصلاة الحاضرة فصل الصلاة التي ذكرتها فإذا أنهيتها 
أدى الصلاة الحاضرة وإذا فرض أن الصلاة الماضية والحاضرة الحاضرة ستكون مقتديا بإمام صلى الصلاة السابقة بادر ثم ادخل مع الإمام بالصلاة التي حضرت والنبي يقول من نام عن صلاة أو نسيها فليصلها إذا ذكرها لا صلاة لها إلا ذلك Individuals asking if I uh, forgot to pay Salat al-Fajr and I only remembered uh, at the time of Salat al-Isha, what should I do? The Shaykh Habibullah mentioned, if you did not remember that you missed a previous prayer except at the time that you were performing the later prayer, then you complete the prayer that you are performing at that time. You complete the prayer that you are performing at the time and once you finish it, then you would make up the, the previous prayer. Uh, but if you remember before, then you should pray the prayer that you missed at the time that you remember, meaning before the present prayer. Then he mentioned Habib Allah Ta'ala, for example. And also, if, for example, uh, it's at the time of prayer, a prayer is about to begin and there's going to, you're going to pray before an imam, Afwan, you're going to pray uh, or the Imam is about to pray, then the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala mentioned that you should pray the previous prayer first, you should start with the previous prayer, and then you enter once again with the Imam on the present prayer. This is because the Prophet said, whoever sleeps uh, and misses a prayer, then he should pray it as soon as he remembers it. So you would begin with, as long as it's before, you begin with the present prayer, Afwan, you begin with the, the previous prayer before praying the present prayer. يقول السائل إذا أدرك المصلى المصلي إذا أدرك المصلي الصلاة والإمام في الركوع هل يكبر المسبوق في حال القيام ثم يكبر تكبير التنفل أو تنقل ثم يركع أم ماذا؟ إذا أمكنه أن يكبر تكبيرة الدخول في الصلاة ثم يكبر تكبيرة الانتقال إلى الركوع فهذا أولى فإذا خشي أنه لو كبر هنا ثم كبر لم يدرك فتكبيرة تكبيرة الأولى لأن تكبيرة الانتقال واجبة وأما تكبيرة الدخول في الصلاة فهي ركن من أركان الصلاة The individual is asking if uh, a person who has entered the, the congregation after the imam has started the prayer and the imam is in ruku' he's bowing the person should they make takbir while they're standing and then make another takbir to go into the bowing position the shaykh habib Allah mentioned if the person has the ability to do so meaning if the person enters has the ability to make takbir which is the first takbir takbir to the ihram and then there's still enough time for him to make the second takbir, which is the takbir to go into the ruku'ah, then he should do so. But if the person fears that if he does both, then he would miss the ruku'ah, then it is sufficient that he does one, which is the takbir for entering into the prayer. Meaning, he does one takbir, he enters into the prayer and he bows. He said, this is because the takbir of movement within the prayer is wajib, it's obligatory, 
But the takbir for entering into the prayer, which is takbir al-ihram, it is a pillar from the pillars of the prayer. يقول السلام ما هو آداب الدعاء والكيفية في السجود وهل يجوز للمسلم أن يدعو الله في السجود باللغة الأجنبية؟ الدعاء في السجود يبادر في سجوده بأن يقول سبحان ربي الأعلى تسبيح والتنزيه ثم يدخل الدعاء معه إن كان يحسن اللغة العربية فلا شك أن الدعاء في اللغة القرآن هو الأحمل إذا كان لا يعرف أي دعاء يقول في اللغة العربية فالله جل وعلا عالم يعلم كل شيء وكل اللسان يدعو بما يفهم الدعاء به The individual is asking the supplication in how does a person make supplication in sujood? And if a person doesn't know uh, Arabic, can they supplicate with a foreign language? The Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned first and foremost, the individual in the sujood, they should say, Subhana Rabbil A'la, glory be to Allah the Most High. So they should glorify Allah first, and then after that, then they would. Uh, supplicate. If the person knows Arabic, then it is upon them to recite with Ar- or to supplicate with Arabic. But if the person does not know Arabic, then verily Allah Azawajal knows all languages, so the person can supplicate with the language that they they know. يقول السائل هل الأفضل أن يبدأ المصلي جماعة ثانية إذا فاته ركوع الإمام ركوع الإمام من الركعة الأخيرة؟ إذا فاته الركوع ويعرف أن أناسا دخلوا فأفضل أن يصلي معهم وأما إذا لم يكن دخل أحد ما رأى أحد فيدخل ويشمله حديث ما أدركتم صلوا ما فاتكم فأتموا The individual is asking if a person enters into the, the masjid and they miss the last unit of prayer of the imam, should they start a new congregation? The Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned, if the person misses the last unit of prayer with the imam and other people have also entered the masjid with him, then it is okay for them to start a new congregation. But if no one enters late with him, then he should uh, join the present prayer, even if it's at the end, that he should join the present prayer. And uh, he would be basing this on the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, whatever you catch, then catch it, and whatever you miss, then make it up. يقول السائل ما نصيحتكم لطالب العلم هل يحفظ القرآن أو يحفظ المتون يحرص على حفظ القرآن ويترك أوقاتا أيضا 
يحفظ فيها المثور المتعلقة بالعبادات وتوحيد الله جل وعلا ويعرف الحلال من الحرام focus on the Qur'an or should they focus on memorizing different texts? Sheikh Habib Allah mentioned it's befitting that the student of knowledge focuses on the Qur'an, memorization of the Qur'an, and he should also leave some time to memorize the mutun, which are related to uh, conducting the acts of worship, afwan, uh, mutun, which are related to conducting the acts of worship and the tawheed of Allah Azawajal, in order for him to know what is halal from, or to in order for him to distinguish what is halal from what is haram. يقول سأل حفيبكم الله تعالى هل هل يجوز لإمرأة أن ترسل صورتها لرجل الذي تريد أو للرجل الذي يريد زواجها؟ هذه لها عواقبها. إذا أرسلت صورتها ثم أرادها هو هل تأمن أنه يأخذ صورة لهذه الصورة ويشيعها؟ النبي يقول دع ما يريبك إلى ما لا يريبك لا يجوز هذا العمل. is interested in marrying her. The Shaykh said, Habib Allah Ta'ala, this has, uh, it's, I'm looking forward, the Shaykh Habib Allah Ta'ala mentioned, this has, it's, it's evil results, or it's, um, no, there's a word, but I can't remember it, it's evil results. It's something that she would reject, because if she sends it, then what guarantees her that he won't spread this, her, her picture? What guarantees her that she, he won't spread her picture. The Prophet said, ah, this has its consequences. Now, the Prophet said, abandon that which brings it, brings about doubt for that which that, for that which does not bring about doubt. So this action is not permissible. يقول السؤال ما حكم قراءة الفاتحة مع سورة مع سورة أخرى في ركعتين الأخيرتين من صلاة جائز يجوز للإنسان أن يقرأ مع الفاتحة في الركعة الثالثة والرابعة أو في الركعة الثالثة فقط المغرب فلا حرج لو قرأ مع السورة مع الفاتحة سورة في الحديث الصحيح يقول كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقرأ في الركعتين الأوليين من الظهر قدر ما يقرأ القارئ ثلاثين آية ويقرأ في الركعتين الأخيرتين من الظهر قدر ما يقرأ القارئ خمس عشرة آية فهو في هذه الصفة ليس لم يكتفي بالفاتحة في الركعتين الأخيرتين فاتحة سبع آيات وبقي أكثر منها فالدليل ذلك على الجواز لكن لو اكتب فقط بالفاتحة أجزأت الصلاة 
والأفضل إذا كانت الركعتين الركعتان الأوليان فيهما طول أن تكون الركعتين الأخيرتين فيها شيء من الطول دون الأوليين هل هذا في في الصلاة الجحرية أو السرية؟ كلاهما نعم The the question is asking uh, is it permissible for a person to recite another surah with surah after surah al-Fatiha in the last two units uh, of the prayer of a prayer that has three or four raka'ah the Sheikh said it's permissible it's permissible to recite another surah after surah al-Fatiha for example in the third raka'ah of surah Salat uh, al-Maghrib there's no problem in person doing so because it's authentically reported that the Prophet Sallallahu the companion said that the Prophet Sallallahu prayed Salat al-Dhuhr and uh, in the first two units of the prayer uh, he prayed the length of a number of surahs and in the second two units of prayer he prayed the length of 15 verses of one. In the first two units he prayed the length of a number of verses and in the second two units he prayed the length of 15 verses. So if the Prophet وسلم, and we know that Surah Al-Fatiha is only seven verses. So if the Prophet وسلم, in the second two units only recited Surah Al-Fatiha, then it would have been short. So this shows you that he recited uh, along with Surah Al-Fatiha other surahs. Uh, but if the person only recites Surah Al-Fatiha in the last two units, and then it is accepted. And then the Shaykh Habib Allah mentioned, that, but you should also keep in mind that uh, in this type of prayer that has three or four units, the first two should be longer than the, the third or the fourth. The third or the fourth should be uh, relatively shorter. Alhamdulillah <laughs> وأن ينفعنا بما نسمع ونقول وأن يرزقنا بمنه وكرمه الإخلاص في العمل والحرص على موافقة السنة كما أسأل الله جل وعلا بأسمائه وصفاته أن يعز الإسلام والمسلمين وأن يذل الكفر والكافرين والمنافقين وأن يفرج كروبات المسلمين المظلومين المكروبين في كل مكان وأن يعاجل أهل الشام بالفرج وأن يصلح حال بقية الدول التي أصابها ما أصابها من هذه الفتن العاصفة أن يزيح عنها كل قربة ومحنة في مصر وليبيا واليمن والسودان وشرق آسيا في كل البلاد الإسلامية نسأل الله أن يعاجل المسلمين بالفرج كما نسأل جل وعلا أن يذل الطغاة المجرمين وأن يخفي بلادنا وبلاد المسلمين في كل مكان شر الرافضة الفرقة الاثني عشرية التي تسمي نفسها الجعفرية سواء في بلاد فارس أو في اليمن الذين يسمون بالحوثية فكلها تنبع من منبع المذهب الاثني عشري الذي يكفر الصحابه 
ويلعن ابا بكر وعمر وعثمان وعلي لا ابا بكر وعمر وعثمان والذين يهنون يؤلهون عني والذين يقولون ليس فيهم غلو يروا انه افضل من هؤلاء جميعا وقد اجمع الصحابه على ان افضل الصحابه ابو بكر ثم عمر ثم عثمان ثم علي فنسال الله ان يثبت كل من يخالف ذلك في كل الدنيا كما يسال جل وعلا ان يحفظ المملكه امنها على دينها ودنياها وان يجيرها من الفتن وان يوفقها من تولى امرها بان يحرص على حفظ سلامه العقيده وصيانه الاخلاق واعلاء شان الشريعه والاخلاق الاسلاميه وان يبارك لنا جميعا في اوقاتنا واعمالنا واعمالنا وما اعطانا وان يوفقنا جميعا لشكر النعم والإيمان بالقضاء والقدر إنه مجيب الدعاء وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله على نبينا محمد وآله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا. الشيخ حبيب الله تعالى mentioned that we thank Allah as we go, we praise Allah for allowing us to come together, and we ask Allah as we go to make us out, to make our gathering blessed, we ask Allah to make our gathering filled with mercy, and to allow us to benefit from it, and to allow us to benefit from that which we hear and we say. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give us success to be sincere in our actions. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to make our actions in accordance to the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla, with His names and attributes, to give might and glory to Islam and to be based kufr and disbelief. And we ask Allah to give ease to the Muslims in different parts of the world. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give ease to the Muslims in Sham and to give ease to the Muslims in the other parts of the world, those parts which have been afflicted with the present calamity in Egypt, in Libya, in Sudan. And in Yemen, we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to give those people ease in their affair. We ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to rid the Taghut and those who have oppressed. Uh, and we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to protect our country from the madhab of the Rafida, those who call themselves Ja'fariya, whether this is in the uh, Persian country or whether this is in Yemen, which they call themselves Houthiyun, because verily they are the followers of the Ithna Ashariya. Um, so those who uh, curse the companions, they curse Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman. And those who are extreme with regards to Ali, holding him to be a god. And those who are not extreme, they hold Ali to be better than the others. And the companions were in agreement and consensus that the best of the companions was Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, and then Ali. So we ask Allah Azza to protect this country, to protect the religion and uh, the worldly affairs of this country. And we ask Allah to protect us from the fitting. And that Allah gives the ruler success to preserve the aqidah, the Islamic aqidah and the Islamic uh, character, the legislative character. And we ask Allah to give us barakat in our time and our actions and to allow us to be grateful with that which He has given us. And verily Allah is able to do all things and He is the one to answer the call. And may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon the Prophet Muhammad, His companions and family members.